I'm going to sit on this stool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Back up here. Thank you. <coughs> so I have a wonderful picture to show y'all. That is the Durham Cathedral. I go to the tallest tower and I set up my books and... No, I don't go to the tallest tower. <laughs> I've climbed it once with, with Chris Perry. Um, and, but I do see it every day. Uh, so that's kind of a daily sight. Right now it has a massive uh, renovation scaffolding on that central tower. So it doesn't quite look the same if y'all would come and visit. But we're doing really well in Durham. Um, we're so glad to have had the time here. And we're... Um, being reminded of how deep our roots go here, I think, uh, in the in the time that we've had. But we look forward to going home. We look forward to being there for another year and a half. And we so appreciate your prayers, your support, um, everything that y'all have done to, to send us along and to 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 hold us up as we're doing this new adventure. So we're so thankful for y'all. What I am going to teach on today comes out of an experience that I had as a teaching assistant at Durham University. So we got, I got to teach a class or help teach a class on the Gospel of Matthew, and particularly on the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and so what I'm going to present today is by no means, we're going to look at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And as I've, I've, as I've learned about the Beatitudes, you could just spend a lifetime learning about what Jesus is saying, what he means. Um, and I think every, every year you could come back with fresh insight as to what Jesus is getting at, what he, how he's calling us to faith in the Beatitudes and, and um, in these statements. And so this little presentation, this is, is just one angle on what I've gleaned a, a bit from the Beatitudes. So let's look together at Matthew 5, 1 through 12. I'll read that together for us. We'll look at it on the screen here in just a second. But I'll read that and then I'll pray and then we'll go for it. So Matthew 5 verse 1 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. <coughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray with me. Oh God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time to gather and listen to you, to listen to one another, to care for one another, to be reminded of your great love for us. I pray that you'd help us to have a fresh sense of your activity in our lives and a fresh sense of direction and discernment as to how you're calling us to respond, particularly to the movements and the workings that are going on uh, by your Spirit every day while we sleep, while we, while we wake, while we uh, work hard, while we are sometimes confused, while uh, we're on top of the world and, and excited about what you're doing, Father, help us to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions just to kind of get us thinking. Are you blessed by God? Are you blessed by God? Hey, y'all, come on in. What in this past week has brought you hope that your life is on track, that it's moving to its intended destination, 
what in your life shows you that God has blessed you? Maybe you've had some thoughts about that in 2016, turning over to 2017. Maybe it's cherished words from a close friend this week or family member. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a positive diagnosis or it's a new experience. Uh, what about the opposite? What's, what's discouraged you? What's confused you? What's seemed to cause a rift between you and God? What are you looking forward to in 2017 that will move you closer to being happy, living the life that, that can be called blessed by God, finally arriving at the place that you want to be? And I want to think about, too, what does our society tell us about these sorts of questions? It's probably never a good idea to, to go on Twitter and kind of see what people think about some particular issue as a, as a gauge of what society thinks. But just for fun, I thought I would look at Twitter and look for the hashtag blessed, just to see what people say about this. Yeah. So here's one. Occasionally, I'll look at my smile and just feel blessed to have straight teeth. Teeth, teeth can be very important, I guess. I've taken a nap every day for the past week because the food been so good here at my grandparents' house. Blessed. Yeah, it is a, it is a blessing. So thankful for my followers, hugs and kisses, USA, blessed. So social media is a way to be blessed. You can now download Netflix shows to watch offline. Ooh, blessed, yeah. That's the highlight right there. This is an interesting one. They praise us when we're up. We praise him when we're down. Glory to God, blessed, roll tide. So that was right after Alabama lost the national championship to Clemson. So someone, someone twi- tweeted that. That's an interesting concept, that they're blessed even in their loss. So some of these are pretty silly, okay? But note how you know, calling something blessed or saying, oh, I'm so blessed right now, it implies a whole set of beliefs about what's good, what life should be, how God works, what sort of things he does, okay? Some, some voices in our society tell us that you know, the best happy life that's blessed by God is marked by present prosperity. Present prosperity. So signs of being blessed equals you know, present realizations of prosperity and fulfillment. And I think the good thing about saying that I am blessed is an acknowledgement that the good thing that happened in my life, it came from God. I think that's a wonderful and healthy thing to say. So I'm not trying to, to be down on that. But sometimes we can, we can in, in our culture, or the way that's used on Twitter, or, or sometimes, you know, Blessed can be used in lots of different ways or carelessly, and sometimes we only feel blessed when things are going really well for us, but when they're not, then maybe we're not so blessed. So whether it's financial abundance or receiving awards and recognition, productivity, results at work, great food, pleasurable experiences, romantic relationships, having great hair, seeing your children succeed, um, whatever it might be, that can embody those present realizations of prosperity or what's being blessed. Uh, and it's the opposite of failure, of weakness, of loneliness, of deficiency, wastefulness, inefficiency, poverty, ugliness, suffering, death. You know, no one, no one says, you know, I've, I'm so mourning right now. Oh, hashtag blessed. You know, it seems a little, a little strange. The best or happy life seems secured by holding on to what you have and then gaining more. All right, that's how to have a bright future, so more achievement, better skills, better, more political power, more money, better physical appearance, whatever it might be. So in our passage today, what we just read, I think Jesus upends this whole system of being, of being too focused on the present realizations of prosperity as being blessed by God. So for him, being blessed by God and knowing that life is on track is not marked by personal achievement or present, of present prosperity particularly, but marked by absolute dependence on God in the face of present poverty and weakness. But it's by faith in God's future intervention on your behalf. The blessed or happy life is one marked by faith in God's future. In God's future. So we'll look at that, look at that further today. So if you're a Christian today, you know, this teaching is fundamental to what it means to live a life of faith in Jesus. Do we, 
as we think about the kind of life that we want to have, the life that honors God, the life that God delights in, the life that's blessed by God, we need to make sure that our, our qualities and the, and the criteria that we're looking at match what Jesus teaches. And so Jesus invites all of us, just like he did the crowds, just like he did his disciples, to come and learn from him, take his yoke upon us, to see rest and peace realized in our hearts as we learn from him. So let's get some context on this passage. All right, so let's look at, here we are, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. What I'm going to do, I've highlighted a few things that we'll look at. All right, so the passage we read from, is, it's from the Sermon on the Mount, as we said. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's Jesus' first major teaching in the whole story. Jesus has come on uh, the scene. He started to preach the kingdom of heaven as at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. He started to cast out demons. He started to heal sicknesses. And this is his first major teaching block. So the words that we read at the very beginning, they're called the Beatitudes because of the Latin word for blessed or happy. Um, And and, in Christian history, they've just been labeled that. Um, And blessed, he makes these statements, these, these several statements about what it means to be blessed. Who are the blessed people? So that word, it can mean happy or fortunate in general, but here we're talking specifically about the person who's blessed by God, the person whose life delights God, whose life is in line with God's intentions, God's values. We're not talking about the person who has happy feelings, necessarily. We're not talking about, um, you know, someone who has some, some non-God-related definition of happiness, We're talking about the life that's blessed by God. And in each of these statements, Jesus speaks generally about all the qualities that identify the people whose lives are blessed. Both now and the present and any time, these qualities uh, obtain, this person is blessed. Any time. So the marks of the happy life, the blessed life, uh, are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, etc., as we go through. So this, this... Statement: This is not how to become a Christian. It's not like the set of prerequisites to becoming a follower of Jesus. This is kind of a description of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus as one lives a life of faith. So this is this is a statement about the reward and the blessing that that follows a life of faith that that comes along with a life of faith. So let's look more specifically about these qualities first. What who are these people who are blessed? Well, ultimately, we're going to find that all all these qualities describe the follower of Jesus, the person who lives by faith with an eternal perspective, with an eye to what God has done and will do to accomplish our rescue. The blessed person even endures personal risk to follow God's calling and mission to show his love to the world because they are confident that God will ultimately fulfill their needs. So the meaning of poor in spirit, here, here is where I'm very sensitive that I am going to do a cursory kind of look through some of these qualities. You could spend, you know, two Sundays on poor in spirit and two Sundays on those who mourn. And so as we go through, we can talk about it uh, later as well. I'm conscious that, um, that there's a lot here. But meaning of poor in spirit has been debated for ages throughout church history. It comes first in the list probably because it's like an umbrella term that describes the whole set of blessed people, Okay. Notice that the poor in spirit are blessed for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice you see that at the very in verse 3. And you see the same thing repeated in verse 10. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I think there's a kind of bookend here, and poor in spirit maybe describes the whole um, of this, this set of people. What Jesus seems to describe here is the person who trusts God humbly in their poverty, in their poverty. Now, what type of poverty are we talking about? Well, Jesus doesn't really say. It's difficult to specify, but at least we can think that might mean financial poverty, not having enough to feed your family and recognizing one's need for God and and depending on God for food. It could be personal spiritual poverty. It could be an inability to control your anger, you know, control your desires, or an inability to live a life that's pleasing to God. It could be social poverty, somebody who's ostracized, somebody who's made fun of, persecuted by others, someone who experiences injustice from others. 
has no support from their family. We see that in, in those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. They're, they're weak, they're, they're poor. But it's not just those who are in poverty, in a situation of need. It's those who are in that situation and bring their need in dependence, absolute dependence on God. They trust God in their need. That's being poor in spirit. The, the person who's poor in spirit knows deeply that they need God and his mercy in light of their sinfulness, in light of their weakness and deficiency. That's, that's poor in spirit. What about those who mourn? What are they mourning over? Again, this is, it's difficult because Jesus doesn't specify. He's probably not talking about mourning over see, not seeing the new Star Wars movie. He's, he's talking about things that are of greater gravity. Okay, so we're, we're thinking about a mother grieving over the death of her daughter. We're thinking about the young man who mourns and grieves over his own sin, maybe his failures to control his sexual desire or his lack of courage to stand against injustice or what's false. He could be talking about the faithful Jew of his own day who's mourning over the state of moral weakness and corruption and sin in the, in the people of Israel and the fact that the people of Israel are not following God as they should. The poor are being oppressed. They're not being cared for as they should. People are not turning to God in repentance and faith. It can be, you can, he could be describing the mourning or grieving over, over that state. These people are people of faith, even as they mourn. We'll, look, we'll talk more about that. The meek are those who choose not to exert power and control over everyone else in their life. They're humble, just like the poor in spirit. They don't posture themselves to look better in the eyes of others or seek the recognition of others above all else. They're humble. They're meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who long for righteousness in their own lives, who long to grow out of sin and, and to become righteous people, um, to, to stop telling lies to themselves and to others and to be truth-tellers. It's the, it describes the person who longs to be free of addiction. It's, it's the person who longs for righteousness as well to be realized in the world around them. It's the person who seeks to address the needs of children in foster care. It's the person who seeks to bring justice and restoration to victims of abuse. It's the person who, who desires to show God's kindness and mercy to those who've received none. To stand up for truth in an indifferent world, in a morally um, irrelevant world. It's a call, uh, it's, it's those who call others to holiness, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful are those who give generously of their time, of, of their money, of, of other resources to those in need. They forgive others who've done them wrong. They forgive debts. Jesus showed mercy in his compassionate response to hunger, to sickness, to confusion. Uh, his willingness to show interest and kindness to outcasts, to prostitutes, to tax collectors. Pure in heart, those who are single-mindedly devoted to God's purposes, to God's values. Their intentions and desires are not to manipulate others for self-interest. They're not mixed in with sinful desires, with anger with with lust when they go to worship god they make sure they've righted their relationship with others we'll see that later in the in the sermon on the mount as jesus teaches about anger and they don't go to church to act as a christian or to be seen by others jesus teaches later in the sermon on the mount that when you pray don't be on the don't pray in the streets to be seen by others go to your closet uh, pray in secret Peacemakers, those who seek to restore broken relationships. Jesus refers to the person who seeks reconciliation amongst other followers of Jesus who are at odds, but, but also reconciliation between God and his people. The person who doesn't allow relational wounds to fester, doesn't hold grudges, seeks to bring healing to relationships. Peacemakers, they take the risk of their own position of control to seek reconciliation with their enemies. These are people of faith. So those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, those who suffer because they hold true to following Jesus and living by faith in God, even when they suffer verbal, physical abuse. We, we support several pastors who, for whom this is a daily reality, just as it was for Jesus and his followers 2,000 years ago. So these qualities, all right, they describe the person who follows God in faith despite personal risk and shame, despite the suffering. These people are blessed they're in deep need of God. They're in a state of poverty and weakness. They live radically in faith, in showing mercy, 
kindness. Jesus says they're blessed. Do you agree with him? Does it seem counterintuitive? I think I want sometimes, I think that the blessed life or the happy life is when I have it all, when everything is going really well for me. I mean, that's what I like to think. I'd like to think that you know, the, the life that God wants for me is, is the one that's completely satisfied right now. But Jesus is saying the blessed life is when you have need of everything and you go to God in dependence and trust and you, you eagerly await his future intervention and God will intervene on your behalf in his timing. I think Jesus, he's teaching here that it's not about how good your present circumstances are. It's about how good God is and how, how faithful he is to intervene for us, to bring real good into our lives, what he's already done and what he will do by his spirit. Jesus, is, I think he's forcing us to rethink the whole blessed concept by overturning some of our expectations of what it means to be blessed. You know, according to some philosophers of Jesus' day, Stoic philosophers, for example, it would be absurd to say that those who mourn, sorry guys, let me go back here. It would be absurd to say that those who mourn are blessed. Because if you mourn, that's a sign that you haven't learned to manage your emotions. It's a sign that you value too highly what you lost. What you should really be able to do, according to these philosophers, is to be totally invulnerable to mourning. You should, you should not grieve at all, because you should just be so in tune with the world, and, and it's as though nothing means anything to you. And because that's the way to be, to be secure, to be safe. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn and grieve, and who open themselves up to that weakness. Same thing for, for mercy. You know, mercy's kind of suspect sometimes because, I mean, you don't want to do that to anyone. That could, that could get in the way of justice and, and right thinking. It could put you at risk. Why should I show him mercy when he didn't show any to me? So Jesus teaches that those who are publicly shamed and humiliated and dishonored for their faith are actually blessed and honored, but not by typical society, not by a typical way of thinking, what, typical values. So is it true that these qualities are really blessed? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to know why these people are blessed. All right, so let's look at the four clauses. We've looked at blessed are the poor in spirit, the first half of the Beatitudes. So let's move on to the second half, okay? Each one of these, the reasons for Jesus' claims that this person is blessed is marked by this this clause that begins with four. And four is just a conjunction that shows the ground or the or the reason for the preceding claim. And we see that the logic here is that being blessed is based on God's future action for the blessed person. And note that in green here, we see all the future tense verbs. Um, now, at the beginning, in verse 3, we see, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is in blue and are, those are all present tense <coughs> verbs. So, Blessed now are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, for they will in the future be comforted by God. Um, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is both something that's present here, now in Jesus, but then it's also something that's that's yet to come fully as well. So the basis of blessing is God's future action for the blessed person. All right, so we make two observations about that. Number one, Blessing is based on the certainty of God's future action, which means it's not based on presently possessing everything we long for. So the life that's on track with hope for the future is a life of trust in God with personal needs, a life of dependence, continual dependence on God. It's a life of longing and faith, not complete satisfaction right now. We're blessed because of what we can expect from God, both in the distant future and in the immediate future, when God intervenes for us through his Holy Spirit, through our brothers and sisters of Christ, to give us freedom from sin, to give us comfort in grief, to give us assistance in our weakness. So the life of faith, even if it leads to great suffering, is far better than a life of present comforts without faith. So a very basic sense of, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Being blessed now is based on God's certain future action for us, not simply our present circumstances. Second, we see being blessed is not earned by our personal achievement. So our beauty, our skill, 
our wisdom, our intellect, our jobs, our relationships, our recognition and success, all those don't make us blessed or give us a secure hope. So without God's interventions, we would have no bright future. We would have no blessed life. God's the source of blessing, not us or our own achievements. And we see that in the passive verbs here. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will, the merciful will receive mercy. The pure in heart will see God. Peacemakers will be called children of God. So here, anytime we have passive verbs, oftentimes we'll have a, the agent specified. Well, who's going to do the comforting? You know, but when it's unspecified, we, we can sense that, okay, this is talking about God. This is what God will do. God will bring the comfort. God is the source of blessing. The reason why the followers of, blessed, followers of Jesus are blessed is not because they've earned their blessing necessarily, but it's because God is who he is. He rewards faith with gracious gifts of help and intervention. So it's not as though God is a, like a cosmic candy dispenser, and faith is the lever you pull to get your candy, necessarily. It's God, there, there would be no blessing if God was not God. However, Jesus is saying that those who are merciful will receive mercy. There is a sense of reward here. There is a sense that by acting in faith, one experiences God's blessing. And the, and the, contra, the, the converse is also true. By refusing to act in faith, one cuts oneself off from God's saving intervention, God's help that he's, he's offering to give. So we who follow Jesus don't produce blessing and the best life for ourselves, but we depend and wait for God with all that we have for, for his intervention in his timing. God is the source of blessing. So as we... As we look again, is it true that these needy, trusting people are really blessed by God? And we would say, yes, they are blessed by God. The weak people have access to the greatest good in human existence, which is God himself. It's the salvation that he brings in his son. Jesus redefines what it means to be blessed based on the gospel, based on the good news of God's intervention in our broken world. So it's summed up in Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God. And I'm sure all of us here have heard about the kingdom of God, but essentially what it means is it's God's power to put right everything that's gone wrong with the world. It's, it's the realm in which God reigns, and, and it's, it's most powerfully active in Jesus to put to death sin and suffering and evil in this world, to, to give forgiveness of sin, to reconcile us to God, to, help us to, to, to adopt us into his kingdom into the salvation that it brings, to, and so that we can live lives as witnesses to God's power to renew and rescue his creation. So as you are poor in spirit, Christ Church, you are blessed because God will give you help and healing, both in the final future of God's kingdom that will be revealed, that we see in Revelation in the, in the great city that comes down from, from heaven, and, and God's kingdom is, is finally fulfilled on earth, when he wipes away every tear, when righteousness is restored, but now, through, through his Holy Spirit, God gives help. God, God gives help through us, through your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are blessed even in your grieving. Because as you grieve, you share God's heart for the world. You recognize the value of what's been lost. The value that God created himself. God is with you even in your grief. And he will bring you comfort even if there's pain and questions that linger on until that great revelation that we read about. When you are meek, when you don't give in to pride, when you don't give in to posturing in your relationships to bring yourself personal gain, to using friends for your own purposes, but when you submit to God in obedience, when you value others' needs as much as your own, when you seek the good of others even when it costs you, you are blessed by God. You, you are meek, you will inherit the earth, you, you receive the benefits of God's kingdom, and God, through you, will give those benefits to others. You are blessed because God is at work in you. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you refuse to answer evil for evil, when you care for the poor and the needy, when you commit to sexual purity and, and honor God and 
when you cry out to God for help, even in your unrighteousness, you're blessed because God will work in your life to set you free from sin. He, he will advance God's righteous work. He will advance his work in you, through you for others in the world, to make the world more righteous, to make, to make Christ's body more righteous as you hunger. When you're merciful, you are blessed. God will pour out his mercy in your heart towards others. When you have purity in your heart's motives, when your desires or values match God's own, when you live authentically without hypocrisy, you are blessed. You're blessed because God will show you more of himself. He'll give you clarity in the discernment of his will. He'll deepen the intimacy of the relationships that you have with him and with others in purity of heart. You're blessed when you suffer in righteousness for following Jesus. God is with you in your suffering to protect you, to comfort you, to give you words to say. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus. God is at work in you to bring hope and healing again through you to a broken world. So our model for the blessed life is Jesus, right? He lived what he taught. So the picture he offers us of the blessed life, of this life of tension, a life of longing and faith, but a life of participation in God's, God's kingdom work, is this right here, I think. This is the picture of the blessed life. And this looks so radically different than what I like to think about the blessed life and what I I like to think about um, what I'd like my life to be sometimes. The recognition that I'd like to receive or or the comfort that I I seek. And that's not to say that comfort and recognition are bad things. but, But this is the blessed life Jesus is teaching, I think. I think he embodies the, what, he, what he calls blessed on the cross. Now, Jesus is a master teacher. So his statements work in two different ways for us this morning. Depending on where we stand in relation to him. So the statements pronounce affirmation and blessing, just like we were talking. Uh, as you have faith, in your need, you are blessed. God is with you. You can expect God's intervention on your behalf. It's the greatest good conceivable in which all of the goods are a shadow. But these statements also can devastate you like a sword in your heart because they reveal our lack of faith. And they reveal that, that we haven't made these steps. We're, we might be seeking a, a type of life that doesn't fit with this life of blessed faith, even in the face of suffering and weakness. There's not a person in this room who's not cut, le- cut deeply by Jesus' teaching, and, and that's me. I know I am. So that to the extent that our faith is mixed with hopes and values that are at odds with God's work in us and his kingdom, the Beatitudes are a direct challenge to what we put our hope in. It's a call to repentance. So he says, blessed are these, and if you're not that, then you're not blessed. You're not, you can't expect God's saving intervention in the same way. So we separate ourselves from God's saving work when we resist Jesus' call to faith. We build the houses of our lives and the hopes of our future on sand. We can expect damage and destruction. And Jesus makes an exclusive claim. You know, if you don't agree with Jesus and have put your hope of happiness on something else, you hear Jesus calling the hope of your future into serious question. Outside of God's intervention, outside of God's blessing, there is no blessing, no hope. So Jesus challenges us all directly, but he challenges us in love. Again, he's the, he's the teacher who calls us to take his yoke upon us, to, to find comfort and rest, to learn from him, because he is meek. He is humble. And he calls us to faith in the face of our sinfulness and our weakness and our pain. So you are the body of Christ. What words of encouragement, what words of challenge could you offer today? What, how do, what does this life of faith look like, this life of longing? What would you say?
bringing the new covenant. Mm -hmm. uh, up until that time, even during the years he lived, people were trying to accomplish all these things on their own. Mm -hmm. They were trying to live by the law. What does it look like to have a life that's kind of that's operating according to this type of blessing, as opposed to other other ways of seeking the happy life? What would you say, Randy? What maybe is one on your heart of ways that maybe Christians could take up values of the world in the sense of and not and not have their their eyes focused on Jesus and for the things that they see. Right. But uh, even in even in relationships with other people, um, we deal with that all the time in marriage. Mm. That people get married because they think, "Wow, if I can marry this person, I'm going to be filled. I'll never have any more." I want you to know too that I, as I was thinking about these beatitudes, I, I wanted to emphasize that future aspect of these teachings. But then, at the same time, we read in Paul that we have died with Christ, but we've actually raised to new life. So there's there's a picture after this that's applicable too for our life, the life of blessing. And so we always have to. But there's a still there's still tension. There's crucifixion and resurrection, and. I think the same thing for, for God's kingdom work, too, in the world. There are, there are indications God is at work. He is at work. But then it's difficult sometimes as well. 
isn't that where the joy is? Mm. It's living in eternal perspective here on yes. earth. Yeah. That we can rise above the circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, I was touched by you know, the person that mourns because mm. there's a lot of people out there that live in such pain. Mm. They can't seem to figure out that they don't have to live in that past pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they're, they're so focused on what the world mm. has that they don't see an answer to that pain. Mm. So they choose to live in it. Mm. One thing that kind of points to this then is the fact that you're never going to quite arrive. So even though you have that hope in the future and when you do receive something from God and it's just discomfort, it's like, mm-hmm. you still always want more. So you're going to be continually seeking that. You're not going to settle into something and kind of fall back because you still want to continue seeking it having that, because, you know, even in any relationship with friendships and marriage, like, you never kind of hit that point where you're like, okay, we're good now, like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore, <laughs> yeah. Like, you, it just makes you want to spend more time with that person and mm-hmm. figure out ways to express your love more, so. Mm-hmm. And the same way with God, when we're seeking to love Him and to love other people, you're never going to stop seeking to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like that verse 6, we have that hunger, mm-hmm. that hunger Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate your uh, digging into this this morning. And like I said, you can preach a couple mm-hmm. of sermons on each mm-hmm. verse. Mm-hmm. You know, the Beatitudes is one of those things that, at least when I was a kid, we had to learn the Beatitudes to make it through the catechism and confirmation and all that stuff. Okay, yeah. see the word poor, so often the world looks at it as, as immaterial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the mourning and, and the meekness, meekness as being a weakness, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the world. Mm-hmm. But these are all blessings from God. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like how you summed it up. Outside of God's blessing, there is no blessing or hope. So many people that miss that. Yes. That's that's the word for blessed. Okay. Exactly right. Yeah. It says which means fully satisfied. Mm. Mm. Fully satisfied. The classical Greek, the word referred to as a state of blessedness in the hereafter. Mm. In the New Testament, however, the term is used of the joy that comes from salvation. Mm. Mm. This test of, this uh, satisfying joy is not a result of favorable circumstances of life, but mm. comes only from being indwelt by Christ. I think there's a real sense of there's a real sense of satisfaction of yeah absolutely yeah there's a there's a there's joy in knowing that yeah you know, blessed you see that all all the time in the old testament as well 
you think of Psalm 1. Um, and these statements of, of saying who the blessed person are, it's, it's a way of, of comforting those who are on the right track and a way of challenging those who are not. And, but, yes, satisfied, absolutely. And with that Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The challenge comes, how can we teach that to the people around us? Mm-hmm. How do we live that out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By our actions, do we indicate that we are satisfied? One thing we can do to go deeper with the Sermon on the Mount is to consider the possibility that that single body of teaching in Matthew 5, 6, 7 is to try to relate all the parables to that single passage. Mm -hmm. For example, when you look down in chapter 6, it says if if you're having trouble getting along with a brother and there's money issues between the two of you, Mm -hmm. settle it out of court. Deal with it quickly. Or a concept about forgiveness. And then when you look at the parables of Christ, they will always anchor into the Sermon on the Mount. The holy man, you know, was forgiven $50,000 and then wouldn't forgive his buddy 50 bucks. And story after story integrates in with the Sermon on the Mount. And that if you get what the blessed life is, then all of a sudden the parables explode with meaning. Because I will be the man willing to forgive my friend who owes me 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And at that point, I am now a kingdom. I'm living out Randy the kingdom ethic. Does that make sense? All about kingdom ethics. And when you integrate the Sermon on that with the parables of Christ, you see practical ways that you do the blessed life. It's not a theory. It's a, it's a kingdom ethic that you live out. Does that make sense? Right. Pretty pretty neat to do that and do a comparison. Anyone else? Words of encouragement or further guidance on how how we would live this out? Well, I think we get caught up at like everyone's touched on here in the now, and these really. Like you said in the beginning, these everything about these are just temporary. Like Randy said, it's when you mourn, you will. I mean, things do get better, even with the poor spirit. I think that kind of means maybe you're humbled or you're just maybe having a crisis of faith. And you know, I think besides just being like a poverty or thinking physical, it is an actual like sadness in your heart. Sure. All of these things are temporary. I think they get us down and we forget what we're looking forward to. We forget our hope. I mean, most of these things on here, they steal your joy because joy is has nothing to do with your circumstance. Hmm. And it's just so easy to get bogged down in things and, oh, I'm sad or I'm depressed or I'm, mm-hmm. I've been fired. And, you know, we just forget. We forget who we are. Hmm. And we allow those to make us, make us who we are. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but I get caught up in it and how I feel every day, and that's, you know, how I feel is, you know, makes my whole everything around me revolve around how my feelings are today hmm. instead of holding on to the joy and the hope that we have. Hmm. If you woke up every single day saying, Jesus is coming today, Jesus is coming today, I mean, how much different would it be? Hmm. How much would you step out of those feelings and be, you know, and do so much better? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all very much for caring for me, um, caring for one another this morning. Let's worship this one who's blessed us in Christ. As we come to his table, we, we reset our values. We reset our value system so that we can reset our behaviors and our actions.
maybe there's maybe there's a a calling in your life to show mercy to care for someone in need maybe there's a call in your life to seek peace we know that worshiping God cannot be separated from being at odds with other people and being and having grudges against other people maybe God is calling to mourn even to 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 recognize the value of what's been lost and to and to take practical steps to address a need in your life or the life of one you love maybe God's calling to forgive in 1 Corinthians 11 we read for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that death is the death that brings life and and blessing and real joy. And we worship together as a body. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the gift of your son. God, help us to value as you value. Help us to follow you in the footsteps of faith. God, we thank you that you invite us to your table, that you adopt us to be your children, to receive all the benefits that that entails, all the love and all the grace and all the joy that that involves that you shower down on us. God, we celebrate with you today. Thank you for inviting us to your table. In your name we pray. Amen.